Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This morning when I got up, I was thinking about something that I've done a number of times with private lesson students. And I thought I might run through a little bit of it with you today and pretend you're my student. Because sometimes I've been sitting there with a banjo student or guitar student or bass or mandolin and be talking about some topic, some part of music. And I'm trying to explain to, let's say I have a banjo in my hand and I'm trying to explain to the student the difference between major and minor chords. And many times over the years, I have said, okay, wait, 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 wait a minute. Let's go upstairs to the piano. Let me go up there. Let me show you this stuff on a piano. And uh, a lot of times going to the piano and illustrating or demonstrating some of the music, especially music theory type uh, information then it would make sense. And I would actually get the student to do some of these things on the piano at their banjo lesson or at their mandolin lesson. And then when we'd go back to their instrument, the instrument made more sense. For example, if you're a mandolin player, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. If you picture the little two finger G mandolin chord, it's open fourth string, open third string, second fret on the second string and third fret on the first string, that little two finger chord. You can watch my free video up on YouTube. I don't know how many zillion views it has of uh, two finger chords. I don't know if that's the title of it. Go to my website and you'll find it. Um, anyway, picture that little two finger G chord. When you strum it, you're strumming four, you're hearing four notes. You're hearing the fourth string, which is low G, and then you're hearing a D note. That's the open third string. Then you're hearing a B note on the second string, and you're hearing a high G on the first string. So you have G, D, B, G. That is a G chord. But it's not in the same order that if I sat down at a piano and I played a G chord, I start with a G, and then a B, and then a D. And I could put a high G on top. They're all in order. It, you can easily do it in order on a piano. On the mandolin, you're playing G, D, B, and G. It's still a G chord because it's nothing but G's, D's, and B's. But it's in a scrambled up kind of order, so it's not conducive to simple understanding of what's going on. So we march up to the piano and I sit down and I start showing these things in a linear form. And, and the piano is a wonderful, I call it a music laboratory. I'm not a piano player. I do play the piano though. I love to sit down at the piano and I treat it more like a music laboratory because what you have when you sit down at a piano is a very organized 
linear progression of all of the the musical notes that are in the human hearing range. The piano goes from a low A down here. It goes up seven octaves all the way up to this A. And then they even toss in three more notes to give you a total span of seven octaves plus a minor third. You don't have all those notes available to you on a guitar or a bass or a banjo or a mandolin or a fiddle or a dobro. All those notes are not there. So the piano is sort of like a music laboratory where you can really look at everything. Like you could, you could picture your guitar chords right here and your bass chords, your bass part down there and your mandolin up here and maybe your fiddle screaming away up here and so on. But you can't do it all on just your one instrument. If you're a banjo player, you can't play this note or this one. So it's, it's very enlightening for you to sit down at a piano and think about music. And then when you go back to your instrument, see if you can correlate what you've figured out in this nice linear world and find those things on your instrument. So the first thing I want to talk about here is a thing called the chromatic scale. And let me make this disclaimer. I have said throughout these podcasts that the podcast is not really to teach you. Not It's not the method to teach you this. So if you listen to all this and at the end of it, you don't know what a chromatic scale is, that's okay. But I want to talk about it. I want to just mention it and let you hear it. Then if you're interested, if you're a mandolin player, go over and read Mandolin Masterclass. That's the book that's going to teach you all the basic music theory as it pertains to bluegrass music and the mandolin. You know, you're going to have to hit the books. Uh, and for banjo players, it's Flint Hill Scrolls. It's basically Mandolin Masterclass for banjo players. So I've mentioned those two things and my my bass instruction course goes into some of that stuff. It doesn't go as deep into the music theory. That's coming out in volume two. Um, anyway, let's talk about some of these things, these terms that get thrown around in music. One is, I've already said it. I said the word octave, that there were start on A. We have all these A's all over the piano. They're all A, but they all sound different. This A doesn't sound like this one. But they're, they both function musically as the note A. And here's the deal. That's called an octave. The frequency, if you had a tuning fork vibrating at A440, every, every A is a multiple of that. So you'll have... A110, A220, A440, A880. All you have to do is double the frequency and it produces another A note, an octave higher. So here's a bunch of A's. And the reason they all fit together so nicely is because they're nice mathematical multiples in terms of their vibrating frequency, the frequency at which the string is oscillating. Okay, so that's an octave. Now you're sitting here looking at a piano and you've got seven octaves plus to play around with. 
Another thing that you'll hear mentioned, like you might be listening to one of my, you know, maybe you bought one of my Manlin videos and I'm talking and I might just drop in a term like C natural. And maybe I haven't explained what C natural is. So let me take that. Let me tell you what a natural note is. The natural notes are all of the notes in music that are represented by a single letter name. So this is a C. We just call it a C. But you could technically call it C natural. Here's a D, which is a D natural. So there's our C, C natural. If we raise it to the next note, we have C sharp. So we have C sharp or C natural. Pretty simple, right? Let's take G. G, if I just say G, I mean G natural. So when you hear somebody use the word natural, what they mean are the white keys on the piano. Those are the natural notes. C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. My son said, I'm going to play H. <laughs> He's funny. It's, it's very simple. It's seven letters. If you start on A, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that starts again. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Seven notes. What could be simpler? So there are seven natural notes in the gamut of the entire chromatic scale, the whole, every note available to you. There are seven natural notes. So those are the white keys on the piano. And I think, you know, Anybody that has my book, Madeline Masterclass, might have been stunned or perhaps somewhat disappointed when, as they're, they're opening the book and turning the pages, the very first illustration that I put in the Mandolin Masterclass book was a picture of a piano keyboard. One octave of a piano keyboard. Because even when I wrote this back in 2005, I knew that visualizing this stuff the way a piano lays it out is a very good way to understand it. Okay. So let's talk about the natural notes. I'm going to use, I'm going to begin on a C note and I'm going to play the C natural note and the D and the E and the F and the G and then the A and the B and the C. Those are the natural notes. This is middle C on the piano. I'm going down one octave to the C below it. And we're mostly going to spend our time in this, this podcast talking about those notes in between this C and this C. C natural to a C natural one octave above, which is double the frequency of this one. That is an octave. We got a C on the bottom, C on the top. That is an octave. Why do we call it an octave? Because octave means eight. And if we count the natural notes from C to C, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight is the repeating one. Now we're C is one, C is eight. 
So this upper note, we could call one or eight, doesn't matter. It's a one. It's also an eight. It's a one of the next octave. So that note up there is a one or an eight. So how you number that top note is up to you. If you're building chords, you probably call it eight. But eight is one, so this is an octave. Eight octave. So let's talk about these notes in between it, because in between those notes are all of the notes of what is known as the chromatic scale. The chromatic scale will begin for our purposes, since we're staying between the two C's. We're going to start with C natural and go to C sharp. In music theory terms, that's called a half step up. If you're looking at your banjo or mandolin or any fretted instrument, the frets are laid out in the form of a chromatic scale. Let me sidetrack here a little bit. Let's say I am playing my D string on the guitar or the mandolin or the banjo, any instrument. And I'm playing a D note. If I move up one fret, we have moved up one half step to D sharp. The next note up will be E, then F, then F sharp, then G, and so on, all the way up. Your frets are arranged in the form of a chromatic scale. Pick any string on your instrument, play it open, then play it first fret, second fret, third fret, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. You will have achieved an octave. So I'm going to do it on the piano now, and I'm going to count the chromatic scale tones. C is one, second note, C sharp. 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. When you get to 13, you're at the octave. So if you think about your banjo, you strum an open G, and you play the 12th fret, and you get G again. But didn't I just say there were 13 notes? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13? Yeah, well, that's because the nut is sort of like fret 0. So this is the nut, this is the first fret, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. So in terms of frets, since you, your nut is zero, the twelfth fret gives you an octave. So any note you play on your fretted instrument, if it's the third fret, add twelve to it and you will have an octave. You will be one octave above that. So if you're playing the second fret, the 14th will do the same thing. Make sense? So all you have to do is add 12, and you've gone up an octave. So now back to the piano, as my I've brought my banjo student up, and I look over at him, and he's dozing off in a chair. I'm saying, all right, pay attention, pay attention. Let me get back on track here. We're going to go from C to C. This is the chromatic scale. From C to C, we're going to play every available musical note in between those, including and in between those notes. So C, not going to worry about the names of them right now. That's the half steps. 
Okay, now that you have a chromatic scale, we're going to build a major scale. Because if you're going to play, will the circle be unbroken in the key of G, the first chord is a G major. And you're going to play a C major. And you're going to play a D major. You're going to play a lot of major chords. So how do we get major chords? Well, we need to know the major scale first, and it's super easy on a piano. If you sit down at a piano, forget the black keys and only play the white keys, start with C and play all those natural notes from C to C, just the white keys, bingo, major scale. Do, re, mi. That's a major scale, and then you could go to the next octave of the C major scale. And another one. And so on, all the way up and all the way up and down as far as you can go. You play all those white keys beginning on C, and you will have C major scale notes. So there are seven notes in the C major scale. C, D, E, F, G, A, B. C is eight or one, and you go up again. And by the way, that's all explained in my little free video called What is a Major Scale? You can go watch that thing if you want to. Even if you don't play the mandolin, it'll cover all this. So you got your notes in between from C to C. You have the chrome scale beginning on C and you have the major scale from C to C so you can produce those two things out of this span of an octave so now we're trying to get to how do we create a major chord all we have to do it's so simple we take the notes of the C major scale the seven notes one two three four five six seven and you could include eight if you want to. Take those seven notes and simply play the first and the third and the fifth. We're skipping every other note. It's so simple. When Jackson was very small, I said, Hey, Jackson, when you play in the piano, you get your fingers all together. I said, just spread your fingers out and play every other note. And you get... more pleasant if you spread your fingers out and let me mention this since I'm talking about it notes that are really close together are the dissonant ones if I play C and C sharp together <laughs> but if I play C and F together they're kind of far apart not near as much tension Maybe this note and this one, they're so far apart, they don't, even if that's a wrong note, technically, there is no such thing as a wrong note, but let's say that's a wrong note up there. It doesn't grate on you like those ones that are right beside each other. C and C sharp together is ooh, pretty upsetting. Same with the note right below C. It's not what we like musically it has its purpose i mean if i were going to do a um 
like a murder thriller movie, I'd probably put a lot of those in there. So if you got two notes right beside each other, they're very dissonant. But as you get a little farther away, what I'm going to do here is play the low C in combination in pairs with all of the notes of the chromatic scale from C to C. So I'm going to play all of those in little pairs and let's see what happens to that dissonance. So here's C and C sharp together. Extremely grating. Then we'll do move that upper note up one. There we have C and D together. They're they're pretty it's still dissonant because they're pretty close together. Not as bad as this. But if we take that upper note a little higher, we get this. It's dark and it's sad. That's called a minor third, by the way. That's a C and an E flat together. Now we're going to go happy and go up one more note. So remember what I'm doing. I'm just playing C, 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 C on the bottom. And on the top, I'm going up the chromatic scale. So. I'm spreading those two notes farther and farther apart. So let's start over. C and C sharp together. Very harsh. C and D. C and E flat. Not calmer, but sad. Then C and E. Very happy. Then C and F. Very strident and solid. Then C and F sharp. Some of that weird dissonance in that one. Go up a little more, which is C to G. We have that ancient, perfect fifth. Go up with the upper note again to G sharp, and we get more of that dissonance. But it's far enough apart, it's not too horrible. Then we get to the A note. Wow, that's nice and happy sounding. Up one more. That's one we've heard a lot. That's a C and a B flat. Then a C and a B. Ooh, we're back to dissonance again. Why is that C and that B so far away? So dissonant. Well, because the very next note is C again. So that upper note is only a half step away from the high note. So you think, all right, if I play the low note and the seventh note together, it's very harsh. But I'm going to prove that wrong. Listen to this. And by the way, if you don't, most I just want to, I want you to hear some of this stuff. Okay. That's, that's why I'm doing this. I just want you to hear it. If some of this stuff, some of you are going to understand everything I'm saying. Some of you are going to understand nothing. If if you're in the nothing camp, go get the books and take the mandolin masterclass book. If you're a mandolin player, and go through it. There is a mini music theory course in there with six self tests. And when you come out of that, then you can go to the piano and figure all this stuff out and do your own experimentation. But I just want you to hear some sounds. 
So there's that C with the seventh note. We, we talked about the, the major scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. We're going to play C and B together. It's kind of like dissonant. But listen to this. What if I play one, three, five, one, three, five. That's the major chord. So that's just a beautiful C major chord. And I put that, what was sort of dissonant, seventh note on there. Listen. It becomes very beautiful. That's called a major seventh chord. What do we have there when we play those four notes? We have C, E, G, and B. If you take notes one and five of any major chord, first note and fifth note, that's what your bass player's playing all the time. He's going... One, five, or one, five. That's a fifth. So that chord, that, that C major seven, contains one and five. It has the third in the middle. And that's what makes it sound so happy. Because if you take that third in the middle and drop it a half step, listen to the change. That's our third. If we lower it down from E to E flat, we get C minor. Now we have a C minor chord. Bring it back up. So remember this, that in your major chord, one and five, which your bass player is always playing, the major chord is defined by the third that's in the middle. So if I play one, three, five, it's major. If I play one flat three, five, it's minor. Minor chord, so sad. Want to make it happy? Play the major third. But let's go back to that major seventh chord. What we really have here is a one and a five. That's notes one and five. And if we play three and seven, we also have another fifth. We have a fifth for E. So we're combining these two fifths. We have this fifth and this one. This one's hard. It's, it's like a like a, a Celtic warrior about to go into battle. Or perhaps Roman. A Greek hoplite. So we have this powerful fifth and this powerful fifth, and we put them together. Play them all at the same time and listen. It's this gorgeous, jazzy, melancholy major seventh chord. That's weird, isn't it? That you can take this and this and put them together and get this. That's the magic in music. 
Okay, I just wanted to point out that the linear nature of a piano is a wonderful tool for understanding music theory. It doesn't work so good on the stringed fretted instruments because your low note, lowest note on a mandolin is a G. And let's say you want to hear what that G and the G sharp just above it sound like together. Well, you can't do it because you're already using that string to play the G. How are you going to also play the G sharp or the A? Or you don't get to a new string until you get to the note D. So you have to make these interval jumps. You got to go straight. You can play G and D together, but you can't play G and A together right beside each other on the same string. So everything's all scrambled up. And incidentally, those are called inversions. When you play a chord in order, that's the normal sort of theoretical way of building the chord. Note one, three, five. But I could play three, five, one and still have the same chord. Or I could play five, one, three. All those are C major chords, but they're in different orders, and those are called different inversions. That's what you end up with with your stringed instruments, except sometimes you have inversions with gaps in them. You might be going C, G, and you need an E, and the next available E is way up here. Still a proper C major chord. I look at that and I don't instantly see C major. So sit down at a piano, fool around. Try some experiments. Play these intervals. And soak them up. Try to figure some of this stuff out. And it will help your bluegrass playing. That's all I have to say in this episode. Study a little theory. It ain't going to kill you. <laughs>